Ephesians chapter 4. We've begun a new sermon series. We're in our third week of this series. We've got two more to go called Gather, Grow, Go, where we are being reconnected to some of the fundamentals of who we are as a church, why we exist, what our identity is, and what we are to be about doing. As I look out, not everyone that's here is a member of the church. This is a series that is primarily geared to those who are covenant members of this faith family so that we can understand what God has us here for and that we're all on the same team working together for the same purpose. And we can all be engaged in that together. But you might not be a member because you're new. You might not be a member because you're checking out our church. And that is awesome. What a, what a great time for you to hear what we're about. So that you, you can uh, pray and decide as a family, is this where God is calling you to connect and dive in with both feet? I would encourage you to think and pray along those lines. Now, maybe you're not a member because you're not even a believer yet. Maybe you've been attending church all your life. Maybe you are just kind of stepping back into the doors of a church to check out what this is about. Maybe the pandemic has you wondering what is really going on in the world and, and is there someone who's in control, really? And is there a purpose in all of this? And maybe you're just searching for answers. And if that's you, as you you hear us discuss this week and for the next couple of weeks who we are as a church and and what we're to be about doing, please understand that, that more important than where you connect to a local body is that you connect to the family of God. If you're placing your hope If you're placing your your trust and your faith to be rescued from judgment because of your sinfulness to God on anything other than Christ and Him crucified and resurrected, if you're placing your trust in in your church attendance or in something that you did earlier in your life, some kind of spiritual activity that you took part in or that you're mostly a good person, please understand that, that in full confidence, based on the truth of God's word, that that hope is folly, and it's empty. And your only hope is to throw yourself at the foot of the cross and to trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope. So we're talking to those in the family, but please understand, if, if you have not committed to the family of God this morning, then your hope lies in a resurrected Christ. Trust in Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you never could. He died in the place of sinners so that those who would trust in him and his finished work on the cross would be rescued from what they deserve and reconciled back to God. And consequently, not just saved to eternal life, but saved into a family, which is what we're talking about in this series the family of God. We we are saying in this series that we gather because of the gospel. That, that gospel news, that good news of Jesus that, that we just talked about is the good news that has transformed us 
And, and now we gather because we are people who have been transformed by the gospel. So we gather because of the gospel, but we don't stay there. We grow in the gospel. And we talked about that last week, that it is our expectation that as believers in Christ, when we come to faith in Jesus, we're baby Christians, but man, we shouldn't stay baby Christians. That, that healthy Christians should grow. If we're, if we're healthy spiritually, that we'll begin to grow in our faith. We'll begin to mature in our faith, and that's what we talked about last week. But this week, we're going to talk about the fact that not only should there be an expectation that we grow spiritually, but there should be the expectation that we help others grow spiritually in the family of God as well. We gather because of the gospel, we grow in the gospel, and then God has us for here a reason, and that is that we will then go with the gospel to tell others about Jesus as well. So this week, we're talking about that expectation be expanded to not just all of us be growing spiritually, individually, but that we actively engaged in helping others grow. That every member would not only be growing, but helping at least one other person grow as well. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 16. This is the word of God. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers <clears throat> to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this book. Thank you, Father, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed your kingdom and what kingdom life looks like in this book. We thank you, Father, that you have seen fit to protect this throughout the ages such that we can know with full confidence that what we hold in our hands is your very breath, the inspired words of our Creator. And we know, Father, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we ask in Jesus' name that you'd build our faith as we encounter you in this passage 
that you would speak to us as a church, Father, that you'd grow our faith in you, and Father, that you would give us a vision and a passion to not only be growing in the faith, but to helping others grow as well. We ask that you would do that in us and through us, not for our sake, but for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage begins with the word but. But grace was given to each one of us. And that word signals that there is a connection with what preceded verse 7. But the connection is one of contrast. In verses 1 through 6, as we read through earlier, as as, uh, Bob read through those during our worship set, Paul is talking about the unity that the believers in the church in Ephesus were enjoying, that they were enjoying unity in that church. He said that they were maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and that there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope to which you were called. And one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Father of all. And then he says in verse 7, but, but, grace was given to each one of you. So the but, the word but in verse 7 signals a contrasting thought. In contrast to the unity with which he's referring to in verses 1 through 6. Now, Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 7, is talking about how there is a diversity within the body. There is a difference. Not everybody is the same. We're all one in Christ, but we're not the same. There is a diversity of gifts. There is a a, a different gifts that we're given, spiritual gifts he's referring to. This passage here in Ephesians 4 is by far not the only place where the Apostle Paul speaks about the concept of spiritual gifts. We can read about his theology and his doctrine of spiritual gifts most predominantly in two other key texts. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the other is Romans chapter 12. And and if you're interested in learning more about the spiritual gifts, I would commend those two uh, passages for you to do some personal study. This morning is not primarily about spiritual gifts because this text is not primarily about spiritual gifts itself. The gifts are only mentioned twice in this passage. Once here in verse 7, where we learn that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word grace at the beginning of verse 7 is the Greek word charis. And it's the same root word that we find in both Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in these other passages where Paul speaks specifically about spiritual gifts. In those passages, the word gift is the word charismata. And so he's saying here that gifts were given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, it is Jesus who decided who would get what spiritual gift. He was sovereign in the gift giving. And so we should have no part in gift envy, being envious or jealous of the spiritual gift that someone else has, nor should we have any part in gift boasting or gift pride 
that we think we're all that in a bag of chips and that we're more important in the body of Christ than someone else, specifically because of the gifting that we have been given in Christ. Both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 speak very specifically against that kind of thinking. We're gifted according to Jesus' divine and sovereign wisdom. And we should trust that he knew what he was doing when he gifted us the way that he did. The other place that we see gifts here in this passage is in verse 8. It's an odd passage. But what it is is a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote from Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, David, who wrote that psalm, he, he is giving us a picture of a king who defeated an enemy, and this was common practice, this is what kings did when they defeated the enemy. It's a picture of a king who defeats an enemy and then leads those captives in a victory march up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he gives gifts to his people. He gives gifts to the men who were with him. And then in verses 9 and 10, They tell us that what Paul is doing in referencing Psalm 68 is he's talking to us about Jesus. He's using that quote from Psalm 68 to present to us a picture of Jesus who gave us our spiritual gifts. His descending in verse 9 is a reference to his incarnation. He descended to the lower regions and he says specifically, the earth. So this is a reference to Jesus, the pre-existent Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who in his incarnation left perfect heaven, came down to earth, put on flesh, and lived as one of us, though he was God. And the ascending that he's talking about in verse 10 refers to Jesus' ascension back up to the Father after his work on Calvary was finished, after his resurrection. So the idea here, the picture here, is that of Jesus, that he is the king who has defeated the enemy, which is sin and death. He's defeated the enemy and then led a a victory march after the resurrection when he ascended back up to the Father. And then he gives gifts to his people, which is what he's talking about in this passage. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful picture of Jesus, that he is the king who defeated our enemy, defeated sin, defeated death forever for those who would trust in him for salvation, who will trust in him for rescue from what we deserve because of our sin and rebellion against that king. And then he led a victory march by finishing his cross work and then ascending back up to the Father where now he gives gifts to men, to his followers. And that's what happens next in verse 11. Verse 11 says, and he gave, this is Jesus, Jesus gave what? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now these are not so much spiritual gifts here in verse 11 as they are offices or roles that are gifts to the church. The first two of these, there are five of them here, the first two, I believe, as I read Scripture, were primarily intended for the first century church. First, the apostles. 
Who were they? Well, they were the ones who saw the resurrected Christ and wrote most of the New Testament. There were 12 of them. Judas betrayed him. He was eliminated. Matthias was added. Then Paul later was added. But they, they saw the resurrected Christ, and, and they wrote the New Testament, and so they are no longer around. They are no longer around because Jesus has ascended, and the New Testament is written, the Bible is written, and the canon is closed. Now, the word apostle simply means sent ones. So in a certain sense, you could say that we're all apostles as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, because we are all sent ones. John 17, we are sent by him into the world. But when you talk about the office of apostle, those guys aren't around anymore because they're no longer needed. The canon is closed. Secondly, the prophets. Again, I believe that, that the prophets were those who primarily foretold the word of God. They foretold God's word. When, when they spoke, they spoke definitively and authoritatively from God. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. They were revealing God's words from their mouths. In the Old Testament times and in the first century after Jesus' birth, this is how God revealed himself, this is how God's revelation was brought to his people. But now we have God's revelation. We have God's full revelation in the word of God, and the canon of scripture is closed. And so this prophet office is no longer needed. Now, some refer to the gift of prophecy not just as foretelling the Word of God, but forthtelling it, like what I'm doing this morning, proclaiming it and explaining it. But I would submit to you that that understanding of prophecy would have been foreign to the early church. They wouldn't have understood it in that way. They would have understood it as definitively and authoritatively speaking forth the Word of God. So neither of those two are still around, but the other three in verse 11 are. So what are they? First, evangelists. Evangelists are those who are uniquely gifted by God to be able to proclaim and explain the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that believers, unbelievers can understand and come to faith through. Now all of us are commanded to evangelize. That's next week's sermon, that we're, that we're called to go with the gospel. But God in his divine wisdom has uniquely gifted some within the body of Christ to be able to share the word of God and, and explain the gospel to unbelievers, those outside the family of God, in a way that is natural and understandable. And God seems to often, not always, but often uses them, these, these individuals called evangelists, to bring many to faith in Jesus. So there's often a supernatural harvest of new believers as a result of God using evangelists. Philip, in the book of Acts, was an evangelist. George Whitfield, 18th century Puritan, was an evangelist. I believe Billy Graham and others like him are evangelists. We would love to know if God has evangelists, I'm sure he does, in our church. If you think maybe God has gifted you in this way, please tell us. Please let us know so that we can look at how to leverage that gift within the body. And then there are shepherds and teachers. The word shepherd here is the Greek word poimen. In Latin, it is the word pastor, 
I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right in Latin. I didn't graduate from a classical school, though my kids did, and I won't put them on the spot. In Latin, it's the word pastor, which obviously we get our English word pastor from. And so a shepherd is a pastor. A shepherd shepherds the sheep. And a pastor shepherds the flock of God, the church. Other passages of Scripture like Acts 28 teach us that uh, shepherds and pastors and elders and overseers are all one and the same, that they are different functions of the same office. And so those passages tell us clearly that a pastor is an elder and an elder is a pastor. A shepherd guides the sheep, cares for the sheep, and feeds the sheep from the word of God. That's what pastors and elders are responsible for. And then there are teachers. Now, some would say that there's, there's kind of a hyphen between those two words. Because there's not the definite article in front of the word teachers. It's, it's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And, and, and they would say that that refers to the one person, shepherds who teach. But... In my opinion, as I read scripture, he's referring to two offices here, that of shepherd and that of teacher. And a teacher is just that, one who is gifted in teaching the word of God. While all elders ought to be able to teach, as Paul later will tell his protege Timothy, not all teachers are elders. But the key here is not who these people are, but what they are called to do. And in verse 12, Paul tells us what they are to do. Back up to uh, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Then verse 12. To do what? To equip the saints. That's us. That's you and I. That's, That's those who have come to faith in Jesus in the local church. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's the job of of the the pastors and shepherds, the elders of the church, to equip, which is to teach, to to furnish the the saints with what they need in order to do their job. And then the job of the saints is given next, which is the work of ministry or the work of service. That's the Greek word diakonia, which means service or to minister. So it is the work of the saints, the body of Christ, to do the work of ministry. Now, in case we don't understand what that means, what the work of ministry is, Paul gives greater clarity to that in the rest of verse 12. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, it's important that we understand what the commas in verses 12 and following are there for. Sometimes we see commas because it's a list of things over and over and over, this and this and this and this. Other times we see commas as successive explanations of what came before, and that is what is happening here in verse 12. So he's not saying here, God gave shepherds and pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ, as if both of those things are the responsibility of the shepherds and pastors. No, if we understand the commas to be successive explanations, then what this is telling us is that God gave shepherds and pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is the building up of the body of Christ. This is an explanation of what what the work of the ministry entails. It entails the building up of the body of Christ. 
So it is the saints, the body of Christ, the believers in a local church, who are equipped by the pastors to do the work of ministry, which is the building up of the body of Christ. Now, what is the building up of the body of Christ? That that phrase is interesting in the Greek. Uh, The word building up, oikodome, is is the Greek word that literally means house building. That's what that word means. It means house building. And so there's a construction metaphor that he's using here. The work of ministry is that the saints are responsible for house building. But then Paul says... For the house building of the body of Christ. And so mid-sentence, he changes metaphors. He goes from a construction metaphor to an anatomical metaphor. But that is what the work of ministry is. It is building this house. Not the physical structure that you see around you. But us. Building this house. God's house. This oikodome, building up this house, which is the body of Christ. The church as the body of Christ is a favorite metaphor of Paul. It's his favorite way of referring and explaining the identity and purpose of the church. And it's the metaphor that he employs here in Ephesians chapter 4. And he's telling us here, not only are we the body of Christ... But we need to grow as the body of Christ. Not numerically, but we need to grow up in the faith in the body of Christ. That each of us is to be engaged in this bodybuilding process in the church. Remember, Paul said back in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. And so each one of us is to be engaged in this bodybuilding Building up the body of Christ. None of us are to be spectators in this thing. This is is not a spectator sport, walking with Jesus in the body of Christ. Being a spectator and sitting on the sidelines in building up the body of Christ is is likened to being being at a football game and you're watching the game in the stands and you look to your left and there's a football player who has his helmet on, his pads on, his jersey on. You look on his back. He's one of the players. He's supposed to be on the field in the game and he's sitting next to you. Church, none of us are to be spectators in this. God has called all of us, each one of us, to be engaged in this. And when we're not, not only are we missing out, but others in the body of Christ are missing out as well because the team cannot operate properly without us. Paul goes on to explain more about what it means to, be, to, to build up the body in the subsequent verses. Let's just read the rest of our passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 again, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And so part of this bodybuilding that we're to be engaged in is to, to build and maintain unity in the church, unity in the body of Christ. Something which he started talking about in the first six verses of chapter 4. You see, when this... When this bodybuilding that Paul is talking about here is done rightly, it builds unity. It builds unity in the church. Why? Because it's a, it's a unity of the faith, as he says. We're, we're, we're growing in our faith. We're learning about our faith. We're beginning to, to mature in our faith. 
And we're all growing into this same faith together. And so it brings a sense of unity in the body of Christ that is both glorifying to God and very attractive to the world around us that sees an absence of unity everywhere they look. A unity until we all attain a unity of the faith. Secondly, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's a knowledge aspect here that we would know Christ more in our head, as we talked about last week, in our heart, and in our hands. That we would know more of him, that we would love him more, and that we would seek to do and live according to what he says. This is not about knowing about Jesus more, but, but literally where we grow in knowing him, in relating to him, that, that our relationship with Jesus grows it grows in intimacy it grows in depth it grows in confidence just as any other friend or your spouse as you grow in your relationship with them you get to know them more and they know you more the same in our relationship with Jesus that we're to grow in our knowledge of the son of god to what degree he tells us verse 13 continues to mature manhood and what is that he gives greater, very, greater clarity to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That kind of maturity. To the measure of the fullness of the, to the stature of the fullness of Jesus. Building up the body of Christ is all about maturing us in the faith. Maturing spiritually with what goal? To the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, as the body of Christ is built up to maturity, we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. We more and more are being transformed to look like our Savior. Paul says it elsewhere. He describes it in Romans 8, 28. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what Jesus is doing. He's conforming us to the image of his son. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says it this way, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory into another. Into what? Into the image of Jesus. So we the saints... Are, are, are building up the body of Christ in unity and knowledge to maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until the Lord Jesus Christ is formed in each one of us. And Paul goes on to describe why this is important in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. We start out that way. We talked about that last week. We start out as babes in Christ. But we're not to stay that way. So he says, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Church, we need to grow in unity. We need to grow in knowledge. We need to grow in our maturity in the faith. Because we live in a world of competing worldviews. 
We live in a world where there is craftiness and deceitful schemes all around us. And it is very easy for one of us to fall into those traps. And when that happens, that stalls the bodybuilding process in the church. And so the church, the the, the saints, the one another's in the body of Christ are given as a protection against that. As we do life together, we, we, we notice and we see when one of our own falls into one of these deceitful schemes, when, when one of our own gets tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, and so we, we, we come alongside them and we show them the way back to truth. And how do we do that? Paul tells us in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love that's what we're to do with one another in the body of christ speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ and so we speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters we speak the truth in love to the children we speak to the truth in love to those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine who get caught up in something We reconnect them to the vine, as we talked about last week, so that they would abide in Christ and so bear fruit and prove to be his disciples. Now, all that we've just learned in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 about building up the body of Christ and growing in the faith, all of that, in a sense, could have been used last week when our main teaching point was growing in the gospel. That we don't need to stay baby Christians, that we need to grow in the faith. And that we need to continue to pursue spiritual growth in our lives. But the main idea from this passage in Ephesians 4 is not just growing in the faith. But the main idea here is that the saints are to do this with the saints. That's the key here. Paul, Paul said in the verse, first chapter of this letter, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the believers. The word saints means, means holy, those who are positionally holy because Jesus has paid for their sins. They've come to faith in Jesus and, and they are clothed with the righteousness of, of Christ. So he says, He's writing to the saints, and then in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4, he says, God gave shepherds and pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is the building up of the body of Christ, and and who is the body of Christ? It is the saints. So this is saint-to-saint work that is being described here, and this is what we're all supposed to be doing for one another, this kind of saint work. Building one another up in unity and knowledge and to maturity and faith, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until Jesus Christ, his likeness is formed in each and every one of us. And we know from last week that that won't happen until he comes back to bring us home. And so this is a lifelong pursuit. Just as growing in Christ is a lifelong pursuit, growing and building up the body of Christ is a lifelong pursuit. Pastors and elders are to be busy equipping 
And the saints, which is all of us, because shepherds are sheep as well, the saints are to be busy bodybuilding, doing the work of ministry, doing the work of service, which is building up the body to maturity. Now, how, how is that to happen? And how is that to happen specifically here at New Branch? What does that look like? How do shepherds equip at New Branch? Let me give you briefly three ways. One is what I'm doing right now. It is the preaching of God's word when the saints gather weekly. Church, can I just be as so bold as to tell you that this time, when the church gathers, is the most important time in the life of the church every single week. This is the most important time. The, the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. And it means gathering. That's, what it, that's all it means. The gathering. The meeting. And so when we meet, it's not so much what we do, it's who we are. It is central to our identity as the church. We are a gathering That's who we are. We gather so that we would be taught God's word, so that we would learn God's word, get God's word into our head, our heart, and our hands, so that we would know him more, love him more, and do more that is consistent with God's word. And the preaching of God's word on Sunday morning when the church gathers is the primary way that the pastors of the church equip the saints. But it's not the only way. When your elder, when your shepherding elder sits down with you to counsel you and to give you advice, he is to be using the word of God. He is literally counseling you with scripture. Another thing that we've noticed recently is the need for discipleship classes for us to teach various aspects of the faith. We've talked about these the last couple of weeks, and you're going to see some of these rolling out on both Wednesday night and Sunday morning. The sole purpose of these classes is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that all of us are better equipped to build up the body of Christ as Jesus intended. But then how do the saints build up the body? What does that look like? How do the saints build up the body of Christ? We talked last week about growing spiritually, that we have a role in our own spiritual growth, our own sanctification, and our role is to fight sin, pursue holiness, and to engage in the spiritual disciplines so that we'll keep ourselves abiding in Christ. And as long as we're abiding in Christ, then God will bring growth and he will bring spiritual fruit to us as a, as a consequence of abiding in him. What we're talking about this week is that that kind of spiritual growth is all of our responsibility for one another. The saints here in Ephesus were told to do this saint work among the saints until all the saints were conformed to the image of Christ. So we, the saints of New Branch, I'm talking specifically here, the covenant members of this church, We, all of us, have a responsibility to make disciples of all the other members. Here's how we put it in our membership covenant. We have a membership covenant that we agree to 
when we become a member. We're going to be bringing on uh, new members at the end of the service today. These are things that they have, have committed to themselves. In part, our membership covenant says this, we accept the responsibility of discipling one another in the faith, encouraging gospel growth, missional faithfulness, and a growing love for Jesus in fellow covenant members of all ages. Let me read that again. We accept the responsibility of discipling one another in the faith, encouraging gospel growth, missional faithfulness, and a growing love for Jesus in fellow covenant members of all ages. If you're a member of, a ch- of this church, then you have a responsibility to be engaged in helping others grow here. It's part of your responsibility as a member. But again, how do I do that? How do I do that practically? What am I, st- what, what am I supposed to be doing? There's no formula for this. There's no one-size-fits-all approach here. There is a, a, a myriad of ways that you could help others grow spiritually. There are some direct ways and there are some indirect ways. And let me give you a couple of each of these. First of all, indirectly, gathering with the church for the weekly gathering. As we said, this is the most important time in the life of the church every single week when the saints gather as a body. When we leave from here, we scatter. We live in different homes, we go in different places, we meet in different base groups. When we, when we gather here, we are the body of Christ. And that becomes visible to us and to the world around us. Again, the, the word itself means gathering. And so when we don't gather, put, put, it, put very simply, when we don't gather, we are not a church. If we don't gather, we're not a gathering, right? Doesn't that make sense? That's why it was so important for us, as soon as was practical, as soon as was safe, for us to begin gathering again earlier last year. Some of us still aren't able to gather, and we plead with the Lord to bring them back soon because they're missing out. They are missing out. When you're not part of the gathering, not only are you missing out on what is taught, Because over the last year, we've come to realize, actually, I can be taught at home. All I do is turn on the live stream, and I I can be taught at home. But it's not the same. Not only are you missing out on the teaching from the Word of God, in addition to that, you're missing out on the encouragement that comes from meeting with the saints. As they gather to worship, to be exhorted together as a body from the Word, And to practice the ordinances together. To be blunt, you are stunting your spiritual growth when you're absent from the gathering. But it's not only you that's missing out, it's others who are missing out because you're not gathering with them. When you don't come to church, then one of the members of the church, again as Paul talks about this analogy of the church being a body, one of the members of the church, one of the body parts of the church is not connected to the body. And when an arm is missing from a body, or a leg is missing, or an eye is missing, then the body is not going to function properly as it should. And that's what happens in the body of Christ when we're missing. So church, don't underestimate the value and the importance of the weekly gathering of the saints for the purpose here of building up the body. 
So you're indirectly engaging in building up the body simply when you make a commitment to gather with the saints each week. Another indirect way is through faithful participation in your base group. Now, if you're new to New Branch, base groups are basically simply what we refer to as our our small groups. We call them base groups. They meet in members' homes throughout the week to engage in Scripture together and to pray for one another. They are a, a family within a family. They are our home base. They, they are the, the smaller group of believers within the larger group of believers that gather together to seek to grow in the gospel, grow in their love for one another, and to grow in mission. So when we talk about our responsibility to help others grow, those who are in your base group should be first on the list. That's your first team. And just as gathering with the saints as the church in our weekly gathering helps to grow others spiritually, so faithfully participating in your base group does as well. Now, faithful participating, participation is more than just showing up, right? I just showed up, I walked in the door, I did my part, right? No, faithful participation is truly being there and engaging in those relationships and engaging in those conversations and, and, and allowing yourself to be used in others' lives, helping to love one another well, and offering biblical counsel when given the opportunity to do so, allowing yourself to be sharpened by them and allowing yourself to be used as the iron to sharpen them. Faithfully gathering with the saints weekly and faithfully participating in your base group are two indirect means, but faithful means of helping others grow. But let me mention a couple of direct means as well. And these are overarching generalizations, general categories in which there could be a veritable plethora of different ways in which this gets fleshed out. First is discipling others. As we learned last week, to disciple someone is simply to teach them to obey the commands of Jesus. Teach them how to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus as he says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. All it takes in order to disciple someone is just to be one step beyond them, one step in front of them in your spiritual journey so that you can turn around to them and invite them to walk alongside you in the path that you've walked. It's not about making disciples of us. It's about making disciples of Jesus as Paul said, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And so uh, as long as we're one step in front of the person, we can invite them to follow along uh, our, our, our example as we follow the example of Jesus. Maybe there's a new believer who's just come to faith in Christ. How will they learn how to have a, a, a devotion time with the Lord? How will they learn how to read their Bible, much less study their Bible? How will they learn how to have an intimate and vibrant prayer life? How, how will they learn the other basics of how to grow in their faith with Jesus, how to remain abiding in the vine unless someone shows them? And maybe that someone is you, where you could come alongside that new believer and, 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 and invite them to meet with you once a week, once every other week, or whatever so that you can model those things for them. Maybe it's not a new believer. Maybe it's just a believer who's never been discipled. 
Nobody's ever shown them how to follow Jesus. Why not be the one who invites them to meet with you, meet with you so that you can teach them and they can learn what it means and what it looks like to follow Christ? Closely related to discipling others is counseling others. Now, don't be scared by the word counsel. The word counsel simply means to offer advice. And we're talking here about counseling the Bible. And so offering one another biblical advice, biblical counsel to those who need it. Maybe you're in a conversation with someone in the church and they reveal to you that they're struggling in a particular area. And it's an area that you've walked through before in your past. And so what a great opportunity to say, you know, I've been where you are. I've walked through what you're walking through. Would you like to meet with me once every other week and let's sit down and let's walk through this together? And perhaps the Lord can use some things from my past to, to bless you and encourage you in you walking through this now. You're helping others grow when you do that. Maybe it's a sin pattern that they need to learn how to fight against. Or, or it's a struggle that, from their past that they need to face with faith. You could be the one to use scripture to, to show them the true nature of that challenge, to show them who they are as a believer facing that challenge and how to fight against that and win. Pastors and elders shouldn't be the only ones who do this. Pastors and elders shouldn't be the only one who are uh, doing biblical counseling. This kind of counseling one another should be happening all the time in our conversations and relationships. Using the scriptures to bring biblical counsel and advice to our brothers and sisters in Christ so that they might grow and build up the body. Now part of our job as pastors is to, is to equip the saints to be able to do this. To be able to do this kind of counseling of one another. One of the discipleship classes that we mentioned that's going to be coming up later this, this, uh, this spring is going to be geared specifically for this. It's going to be a, a primer on biblical counseling. But it's not going to be geared to equip you to become a pastoral counselor. It's simply going to be geared to equip you to become a fellow believer who counsels other fellow believers with Scripture. What a blessing that would be in all of our lives. How the body of Christ would be built up if each of us were to grow and be equipped in that way. So regardless of what form it takes, we should see from our text this morning in Ephesians 4 that the spiritual growth of our fellow believers in Jesus Christ is all of our responsibility as fellow saints. And so my exhortation from this passage is that if you are a member of this church, if you are a member of New Branch, is to be engaged in helping others grow spiritually. Maybe you just need to start by admitting to those in your base group, I'm not. I'm not helping anyone grow spiritually right now. I'm helping directly, indirectly, and, and, and your base group need, members need to encourage you, you in that, that you are helping others grow because you're committed to gathering with the saints and you're committed to faithfully participating in the base group. But what's the next step for you? What's the next step for you to be faithful in helping others grow spiritually and allow them to speak into your life and help you discover what that might be? I want to close our time by looking Back at our passage at verse 16, the last verse of our text in Ephesians 4. 
Because in verse 16, we're given a beautiful picture of the bride, a beautiful, beautiful picture of the body of Christ, the church, the saints, all the body parts of the body working together on bodybuilding. Let's start back at verse 15 to get context. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Do you see the, the, the words he uses to describe all of us? The whole body, every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly. In other words, when all the parts of the body are engaged in building up the body of Christ and helping others grow, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I want you to see from that verse a beautiful partnership that exists in building up the body. Just as we said last week, in pursuing spiritual growth in our own lives, we looked at Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, where Paul commands us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It was a command. It was an imperative verb that we're to do something, that we, that we have a role in this. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But then that was immediately followed up in verse 13 when he said, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And so we're to work at our own sanctification. We're to work at our own spiritual growth. But it, as we do, it is Christ who is working in us, enabling us and causing the spiritual growth to happen. And in the same way, this building up of the body of Christ is likewise a beautiful partnership between Christ and us, the saints. Look there at verse 16. Who is it that makes the body grow? He says in verse 15, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He names him. And then he says in verse 16, from whom, so Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So who is it that makes the body grow? It is Jesus. Christ will build his church. He tells us, he promises. He's doing it even now for New Branch. As he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, he is building his church. But the means that he uses to build his church is the saints doing this saint work, building up the body of Christ so that it builds itself up in love. May God so do a work in us, transformed by the gospel, that as we grow in the gospel, and are committed to be a, obedient to help others grow, that Jesus would build his church here so that we might build ourselves up in love. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you so much for this beautiful, mesmerizing, awe-inspiring view of the bride of your son Jesus. Father, we look at ourselves and we, we recognize that we're not equal to this task. We can't do that. We can't cause this body to grow. 
We might be able to attract more people, but we're never going to cause this body to grow in the way which you called us to in this passage. And that's the point. We need you. And so, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would build up this body, that you would make us grow in you. And, Father, that you would use as your means for doing so the engagement of every single covenant member to be engaged in this beautiful process of building up the body of Christ. Father, give practical meat to these bones as we flesh this out in our base groups and our relationships, as we spend time with you alone and simply ask, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do to help others grow? And Father... We are reminded that we're growing not so that people would look at us and see what great Christians, but so that people would look at us and say what a great redeemer must be behind those sinners who have been transformed by the gospel. God, would you grow us, would you build up this body so that you might be glorified in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.